Ladies and gentlemen, basketball fans across the world, welcome to the Basketball Podcast, the number one basketball history podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network. And why are we number one? Because we're the only one. Jeremy Brenner here, the CEO of Basketball Nostalgia today, and it's March Madness Week ladies and gentlemen and yes we're having march madness this year something we couldn't say a year ago when the world was uh very much in peril and it's not like we're much better but just enough to have march madness in a bubble in the great state of indiana and so we're gonna kind of pivot this week from our usual NBA history to a little bit of college history. And I'm super excited about this because as as I've talked to my guest earlier, he knows how much this, this game, this moment in history means to me. So I'm super excited to welcome one of the brightest undiscovered college basketball minds that I know. And I can't wait to share him with you guys this week. It's Kyle Partain, and he is a graduate of the University of Central Florida. Go Knights, charge on. And he worked in the athletics department while he was there. So he is definitely – he definitely knows his stuff, and I wouldn't have brought him on if he didn't. So, Kyle, thank you for coming, and how goes it? Oh, dude, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for for inviting me. It's going to be a fun day, and – Things have been pretty good here, but, you know, we're not really here to talk about that. We're here to talk real sports, and I'm looking forward to all the conversation today, man. Absolutely. And so this week we're rewinding back to 2016. I know it feels like it was – 2016 is maybe the weirdest year of our existence. If you take 2020 out of the equation, 2016 I feel like was – a light version of it. <laughs> yeah, and right. It also it's one of those things that it feels like it was yesterday, but also feels like it was ten years ago. I know it, it we were just talking five years ago feels like an eternity ago, especially after what 2020 felt like. Like again, 2016 feels like it was at least a decade ago, but you know what? It is what it is. Yeah, but it's actually we're celebrating the five-year anniversary of the 2016 national championship game, and this week. So we're, we do two episodes on the Passable Podcast. The Tuesday episode is the part one, and Wednesday episode the part two. This episode is more for just setting the stage, and then part two will kind of dig into the meat. You know, the part one is like the potatoes and then part two is the meat. And some people just like the meat and that's fine. But you know what, Kyle, as you and I both know, there is nothing better than a great potato. What's the meal without the potatoes? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, exactly. That's as simple as that. You can do potatoes so many different ways. <laughs> yeah, right. What is your favorite kind of potato? It's hard to go against mashed like potatoes. hash browns. Oh, you see, now you're making me think like tater tots and stuff. Tater too. tots. It's, like, oh, it's ooh. tough. And then yeah. you can't go wrong with a good French fry either. It's, of course. It's tough. it's tough. Yeah. But enough talk about French fries. Let's, let's get into this. Let's get into the basketball French fries here. So if we look at 2016 and the tournament, 
kind of leading up to this point in in season. So Villanova meets UNC in the national championship. So at this point, Villanova, they're a two seed. And Villanova has this kind of identity. Jay Wright's been the coach there at this point for 15 seasons. And they always seem to be the team that is always in the running, but never... They're the bridesmaid, but they're never the bride kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, they sort of had that reputation of... It's similar to what Gonzaga had and still kind of has, where they Mm -hmm. would, you know, have this great regular season be top three four in the country for the majority of the year and then you know come march you know they were going to get upset they were going to get beat before the elite eight that's kind of the reputation they had and this was like when jay wright finally broke through and this villanova team was the one that kind of broke the mold so to speak and gave villanova the current respect that they have today yeah this this villanova team definitely has used this this team has kind of built on something in the past five years. And there's a lot of NBA talent on this roster that was soon to be NBA talent. So there's uh, Jalen Brunson, who was a freshman. Yep. There was Josh Hart, who is playing for the Pelicans currently. Eric Pascal with the Warriors. Um, Dante DiVincenzo plays for the Bucks. Ryan Archidiakono was the starting point guard. He was the senior on the team. And then there was Mikel Bridges. So that's six guys from this roster that are currently in the NBA. And then yeah. you have, you know, Phil Booth was also a really important part of this team. Chris Jenkins, of course, and Daniel Ochef, who all had, you know, big roles on this team. This was a really deep team that they had. People don't really usually think of this Villanova team, you know, when you go back and you look, obviously you you think of the shot from Jenkins, but that aside, this team, to your point, was maybe one of the deepest and most talented in March Madness Championship history. I mean, it is unbelievable the amount of NBA talent and prospects that they had on this team, and to still kind of fly under their radar throughout the tournament the way they did. Yeah, so this Villanova team, they there was something different about them. There was something a little bit different about this Villanova team there was they had they had gone to what was the third round so I guess the round of 32 I I hate how they call it like they keep going back and forth on I don't even think it's called the the second and the third round anymore I I think it's just the round of 64 and the round of 32 now yeah that's just you know I I can't since say that that's they think better okay yeah I, I, I like that better yeah so they so Villanova at this point, though, I feel like coming into this game, they're seen as still a big underdog because they haven't really broken this barrier that they have built for themselves as a team that has this rich basketball history of, you know, they back in 1985 were the lowest seed they were an eight seed at the time to win the national championship and at this point that's what villanova was known for they were known as the team that beat georgetown in the 85 championship and that was like their legacy kind of and they were able to you know take that for 30 years and and continue this sort of relevancy and but they hadn't gotten back to the 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 championship and yep. into, the, into that conversation, they'd always been 
whispering in there, but they had never truly been, I don't think, taken seriously as a true contender. Yeah, it was a, it was a well-respected basketball program. Everyone knew what they had done back when they, you know, won as the eighth seed. And they'd had, you know, they'd had good years and really successful seasons winning Big East titles before, like, before this point, before 2016. But every time they'd seem to get a one or two seed and they'd get highly, highly regarded by the committee, they would have this, they always seemed to struggle. I, I can remember they lost to, I believe it was LSU as an eight seed. Villanova was a one and they lost to LSU. And it, they, there was just this reputation that they had about them come March Madness that they could not finish. And this, like like we kind of said, this was the team that hadn't quite broken the mold. And going into the Final Four, they were still thought of as this team, despite going, you know, despite all the talent and all the prospects that they would have. This team still had a lot to prove, and that's kind of unbelievable when you think about it. Right. So if we go back to 2014, they're a two seed. Yep. They don't get past the first weekend. In 2015, they're a one seed. And they infamously lost to NC State in NC State, the second. Right. Yeah, and that NC State team in 2015, that was I remember. I remember that upset. Do you remember that upset? Well, I, see, I thought it was LSU, but I, you're reminding NC State actually. NC State beat LSU, LSU, and then NC State was the one to knock off Villanova. Oh, I remember that because I had Villanova going far in that tournament, and I, I, mm-hmm. I remember that was kind of a, a point to me when it's like, man. Can you really trust this Villanova team? Because they seem to do this every single year. And yeah, I, I vividly remember them losing as a one seed. Yeah. So they've built this history now of of this bridesmaid syndrome, and it has kind of continued into this into this season. But in in 2016, they're a two seed once again. So you're like, okay, you get you get UNC Asheville in the first round. They take care of business. Iowa in the second round and that Iowa team had won on a buzzer beater in that yeah. first round, that first round of the 2016 tournament, man, oh, it was unbelievable. It was one of, it's one of the best first rounds ever. And all of this yeah. happened. Like that's what is, I think is so great about March madness. And I think when people think of March madness, they think of the first round. Yeah. That's well, that's, really, that's when everything crazy happens. That's the madness. Yeah. The first so, and second rounds are the madness. So if in that day, Iowa had a buzzer beater, um, that on the Friday, yep. um, so the, there was Yale beating Baylor. Remember yeah. that with, oh, uh, yeah. to, when Torian Prince was at the press <laughs> yeah. conference and some reporter asked him like, you know, how did they out rebound you guys? And Torian <laughs> Prince gave the most smart ass answer you could possibly come up with. He's like, you go up, you grab the ball. You you control it, and they did that more than us. <laughs> they did so, that more than we did. Like, <laughs> and then you, of course, you have uh, the north, the Northern Iowa uh, half court shot yep. to win. That was an eleven seed over over Texas. And at this point, so I'll give some back. Like so, Texas. I was a senior in high school at the time, right? I had applied. I'm from Texas, so I go to all yeah. the Texas schools and. Texas had deferred or they just didn't take me or whatever. And so when they hit that buzzer beater, I was like, it's karma. Justice. <laughs> justice and karma. A little bit of justice. Yeah. And then, so there was those, those were, I guess the highlights of that Providence yeah. also hit a buzzer beater. I want to say, I think it was Chris I, Dunn. 
I, I believe Dunn hit the yeah. Yeah, I mean Stephen F. Austin beat West Virginia. Yep. Oh, Stephen F. Austin. I, I love seeing them get in the tournament. I love yeah. seeing those guys get in the tournament. They I don't think they're eligible this year. I don't think I they think. are either. Yeah, that's a shame. And uh Little Rock. Remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so all of it and then of course and then Middle Tennessee beat Michigan State. That was probably the biggest yeah. upset of the yeah, first round. You're right. You're right. And that Middle Tennessee upset was able to prompt Syracuse, who was a 10 seed, that wasn't was on the bubble and made it in. And I think they got a lot of flack for that, remember? Oh, it was, had, a big, it was a big deal. They weren't supposed to make it. Yeah, because that Syracuse team was 23-14. and 14. They were 9-9 in the ACC. And they lost in the second round of the ACC tournament to Pittsburgh. Yeah. And they were on the bubble, and most of the people had them out on – most of the bracketologists had them out. Yep. And not only were they not out, they were, they a, were 10. a 10 seed. It wasn't even close. That's bizarre because yeah. usually those bubble teams are playing in the first four. That's kind of, you know, why the first four, I guess, was created was for those bubble teams. Yeah. And if you're like, okay, if you're a bubble team, you can go and prove it and prove why you deserve to be in the, in in the tournament. And Syracuse dodged all that. They got a favorable matchup against Dayton as a 7 seed. They won that. Then they got another favorable matchup against Middle Tennessee. They won that. Gonzaga that year was an 11 seed. Yeah. And Gonzaga had, you know, they were an 8 loss team, but they played a lot of um they played a lot of non-conference games that were really difficult. Yep. They played Texas A&M. They played Arizona. They played UCLA. All those were losses. They lost to BYU in conference play. They lost to SMU. So there were a lot of teams. So that kind of pushed Gonzaga to the 11 line. Yeah. And Gonzaga was able to do what they do in the tournament, which is make it's it still, the weekend. Yeah, still a great team. So Syracuse was technically the higher seed in that game. They win that. Then they go to the Elite <laughs> Eight against Virginia. Yeah. And take care of business there. So Syracuse is in the final four. And the reason why I bring up Syracuse is because they end up in the final four against North Carolina, which is the other uh, side of this championship game against Villanova. And North Carolina, I think, stands out to me for a few reasons. So North Carolina it is a blue blood school. There's no question about that. There's no getting around that. One of the richest histories in college basketball. We could have a whole, you know, series, you know, about yeah. just UNC basketball. But this, in this age of one and dones, in this age of, you know, kind of, you get the best prospects regardless of if they fit for your team or not. Like North Carolina was one of the few blue bloods that didn't really follow that that mantra. They kind of just took. They kind of just stood with what they knew. Yep. And I, I appreciated that. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So this this UNC team, they were also kind of I mean, they had they had one championship. So back in two thousand nine was the last time they won 
a championship, and that was Tyler Hansbrough, Ty yep. Lawson. I believe they, they had, had a couple years between the two. They had a couple years where they didn't even make the tournament. It, there was there was a period of time where they were struggling to even make the field. Because mm-hmm. the following year they went uh, sixteen and fifteen. They didn't even yeah. make the tournament. Yeah, which I think we've seen now. There because it's it, at the time it was rare for teams to win the tournament one year and then not make it the next but that's happened since they did that in 2009 i think kentucky did that i want to say you're right with kentucky um when when they won in 2012 and then didn't make it in 2013 yeah i don't know if it's been done other than that though oh i i gotta i gotta think back through recent champions um but yeah no i don't know it doesn't really make it doesn't really make it doesn't make any difference for what we're trying to tell here, but this group of guys, this Tar Heels team, they were they were a really talented team. Oh, Not yeah. a whole lot of NBA guys on this roster, but they had they had a good group of guys. Their starting point guard was Marcus Page. He's a senior, and yeah. that's I think what makes the difference between this team and other blue blood schools. A lot of these guys are upperclassmen. They've been here. They've done, you know, they, they've done their time. If you yeah, will. Exactly. And that's, you, you bring it up, the senior leadership and the chemistry of this team is that's why they got to this final four in this national mm-hmm. championship. That it's rare to your point. When you look at these blue blood schools, it is very rare to find blue blood schools that don't go through the one and done process and Carolina. And to an extent, if you want to count UCLA in that is kind of, kind of it in the age, this day and age with blue bloods, as far as one and dones are confirmed, but UCLA is a whole different topic for another day. Um, But yeah, Carolina, Marcus page was kind of the glue to this team. Now there were a lot of other talented players, but without Marcus page, there was no way they made this run. Yeah. Marcus page is definitely, the star of this group. I want to look up his stats for this season because Marcus Page was definitely like he was he was a starter all four years. He was a fourth, he was a senior. He yeah. averaged in this season, his numbers weren't as high as they were in previous seasons, but he averaged 12 points a game to go with four rebounds. And that UNC team, so if you look at if you look at all of their stats. Um, you know, Bryce Johnson was also a big part of this team. He was the one yeah. guy that, you know, other than Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson went pro and Bryce Johnson kind of stuck around. I think he was a first round pick and he just didn't stick yeah. for whatever reason. Um, and Theo Pinson, Theo Pinson, I believe is still, I think he's league. still, I think he's still in the league. He's, I think he's with New York. He's either with New York or he's with Brooklyn. He's on a two-way contract with the Knicks. Okay, so so yeah, that there's your there's your NBA connection to this this uh, UNC team. But Marcus Page was definitely the guy that they looked to, um, not just and and they had Joel Berry, Joel yeah. Berry from Apopka, Florida, and Justin Jackson, another you know NBA guy. But yep. Marcus Page was the they had Marcus Page leading the offense and they had Bryce Johnson down low as their biggest yeah. offensive and contributor. That was kind of the one two punch for this Carolina team. And it worked for them. They yeah. they really they weren't 
able to be stopped, really. And that's what I thought was, you know, rather interesting about this this North Carolina team is that they did things their way and it, it worked. So, yeah. like, and it's it was surprising because they weren't the flashiest roster, but they had a good group of guys. Yeah, it was a roster like if you look at the beginning preseason before, you know, before any of the conference play, before any non-conference play, you look at their roster compared to some of the other ACC teams and you see, you know, you typically look at Virginia, you look at Duke. This North Carolina team realistically should not have been a one seed. Um, but the way that they performed and they played together, it and it was it became increasingly obvious as the season went along that this was a team that was going to be that was going to win through chemistry and that was going to win through experience and they did that. Yeah, and I think what was rather interesting about this whole tournament was the teams with the upperclassmen were the ones that were advancing. Yeah, and when it got to the final four, the the stars for these teams were all, you know, juniors and seniors for the most part because UNC had a very easy breezy road to this final four. They had yeah. Florida Gulf Coast who was not the Florida Gulf Coast that you may be thinking. <laughs> no. They were a 16 no, seed that was far cities. from it. They uh they played Providence who they were able to make quick work of. Good they played Indiana, which was the highest seed that they had played up until the championship game. They played Notre Dame, I guess their ACC rival, yeah. if you will. And then Syracuse, their, uh, another ACC team that was simply not on their level. You know, they played, they played Syracuse during the regular season, and they won both yeah. meetings. And this third meeting was no different. And props to Syracuse for making that run, but it just wasn't in the cards to go any no. further. No, Syracuse, like like you said, props to them. But it, when when you just look at the talent and the and just, I've I've been saying this word. I'm going to keep circle back circling back to it. The chemistry on this North Carolina team was kind of unparalleled, with the exception of maybe Villanova. And that's that's why you get a team that's like Syracuse, the Cinderella team, who has to have elite chemistry as a Cinderella team, if you're going to advance beyond, if you're going to continue to advance and it just, it, it wasn't on the level at North Carolina. Uh, that North do Carolina you, had. do you remember who you picked to go to the championship in your bracket this year? This, Oh, in twenty six. this particular year. Yeah. I don't know, just a random to be question. honest, it was probably Virginia. Yeah. It was probably Virginia. And I picked, I picked Michigan state. Michigan, so, yeah. Oh man. And that was, so, oh, that's tough. So, but we were picking teams that had experience, yeah, exactly. and that were you know because that that works that that's that's what a f the formula that works in college basketball unless you have a team that is just too dominant yeah. that they just can't be stopped. Like for instance, the the twenty twelve Kentucky team comes to mind as is one of the most dominant teams. But even if you look at, at like the twenty fifteen Kentucky team that had Carl Anthony Towns that had Devin Booker. Yeah, that was that a team. team they still couldn't win it. Yeah, that team had like was undefeated going into the Final Four, and they yeah. lost to Wisconsin, who was again another experienced group with Sam Decker and uh, Frank Kaminsky, both upperclassmen. So, I guess if we had to advise you, our our tip for your filling out your bracket before Friday is 
go for experience. Experience matters. Experience matters because that will – I think that will play a huge role, especially this year when when things are not as they seem, when things are maybe a little bit different. I think – Things can happen. Unusual situations can happen with matchups and who you play. You want to have guys that have been in this position before. Every team is going to face adversity, and yeah. you want to go with the guys that know how to handle it. Yep. So – that leads us to the national championship. And I'll tell you this, because the final four games were both blowouts. Yeah. I was worried about this national game. I was like, are we going to see another blowout here? Honestly, going into this game, I had North Carolina winning. I thought North Carolina was going to win. They just appeared to be the more complete team. They appeared to be the more dominant team. Even though Villanova had a tremendous Final Four game against Oklahoma, it just it didn't seem like they were on the same level as North Carolina heading into this game. Absolutely, and it's part of it goes back to the, just the perception of Villanova. They, in order to win that sort of trust and that sort of ability to have faith in Villanova, they had to win the championship and. At this point in time, North Carolina just seemed like the overwhelming favorites the way they had played throughout the entire tournament. I, I, going into the game, I thought Carolina was going to blow out Villanova. I, I told myself I wouldn't be shocked if Villanova would keep it close for the first half and then maybe you know after that, just the talent and the chemistry on North Carolina would just it, it would just wear them down. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so great about this story. Is yeah. Once again, it's another David beats Goliath story. And that's, I guess, a very good place to kind of segue into tomorrow's episode where we really dissect this game. So if you need to brush up on your knowledge of this game, this is a great time to go and do that before you listen to the next episode or you wait until tomorrow. Go check the highlights of this game because that is, um, I'm just going to say you're welcome in advance because it'll have you out of your seat. Look, are we are we on the same page? This is the best game in college basketball history. I believe so. I I, yeah. I believe it is. Yeah, and I have I have a few stories from that as well that I don't think uh, that I think are unique to me and that I don't think anyone else can share. So I strongly urge you to tune in to tomorrow's episode where we really break this game down and we'll talk a little bit more about the current uh, March Madness bracket and and to see where we go. We're recording this before the actual bracket comes out, so we don't have specifics, but Kyle and I will go into some teams to kind of dive into. So Kyle, uh, sit, sit tight real quick. We're going to head into part two real quick, but thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Passable Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google, Wherever you listen to podcasts, go and subscribe. Download the podcast so that you don't miss a single episode. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Brenner. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-R-E-N-E-R. You can also follow the Basketball Podcast Network on Twitter and Instagram at HoopsPodNet. I also have a fun little project that I am spearheading coming soon. I'm taking NBA 2K, resetting it to the year 2000, and letting the league take place in an alternate universe. So that is coming soon. It's a uh, video project that I'm super, super excited about, and it will be coming 
very soon, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So uh, keep an eye out for that by following us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet, at Jeremy Brenner, and at Basketball. That's P-A-S-T-K-E-T Ball. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. And until next time, rewind and be kind. <laughs>